thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Welcome to another edition of 100 Not Out, a weekly show helping you master the art of aging well. My name is Marcus Pierce, and here I am with the king of food himself. He's Dr. Damien Christoph, co-founder of The Wellness Couch and The Wellness Guys. How are you, legend? Hi, Marcus. Great to be back here, 100 Not Out HQ. HQ. There is a lot that I want to talk to you about on this episode. And uh, before I do, I want to mention that this episode of 100 Not Out proudly brought to you by the great Forage Cereal in nature. Find health. Go to foragecereal.com. Uh, this episode all about food. Yeah. I'm going to turn uh, back to my natural state as journalist and I want to ask you a lot because what I've recognized recently, I had a bit of an epiphany mm. listening to an interview uh, and I don't know where it was but I just remember the person said, food these days is no longer about sustenance. True. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh. Yeah, it's not. It's not. And, and when I say that, that was an epiphany, it made me recognize that the other parts of food are more important, the other roles that food plays are more important than ever before. But there's some added dimensions uh, to food, which I'll expand on over the course of this episode, that I think I've been resisting, um, but I think uh, are important. Mm. Give you a little example. Okay, I'm intrigued. Of where, where I'm going here. I was on the plane on the way down here. Yep. And um, I don't normally read the in-flight magazine, but we were descending and the book that I was reading was just, bit too heavy, so I thought I'll just have some light reading. What was the book? Uh, Sell Your Thoughts by Matt Church. Ah, heavy book. book. Great book. I like it. Yeah, but it's not light reading. No. I've got the DVD of it. Yeah. Good yeah. stuff. You want that? Uh, I think it came with the book. It comes in the back of the book, I think. It but, does. Yeah, but maybe, yeah. maybe I do. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Good on you, Matt. So um, anyway, so I opened up the in-flight magazine and I got onto a page about what's called, and some people here would know what this is, a freak shake. And I said to you before on air, uh, before we came on, have that? you heard of a freak shake? No. So a freak shake became and still is a social media phenomenon where cafes would create, it's almost like the heart attack hamburger version of a smoothie. So it's a glass jar of, let's say, an incredibly decadent chocolate milkshake, thick shake. And on top of it, you might have um, a donut. Um, a pavlova, Seriously? a banana, wow. um, a croissant, mm-hmm. and I'm all, being, all on top of it. Yeah, so it's all the freak shake had nothing to do with ease of eating. Right, it had all to do with presentation. Okay, and so it's kind of taken the whole food porn thing to a whole another level. Totally. But when I say it was a social media phenomenon, what got me really interested was that. I often go, oh, how much does social media really impact my business? Because I am, I am a bit of a social media dinosaur. I don't, I don't lose sleep at night going, how do I grow my social media numbers? I don't wake up going, how do I grow my social media numbers? I just, if something happens, I thought, oh, I'll just, I'll bang it on Facebook, right? But what really got me fascinated was cafes would have lines of up to two hours waiting for on a the, freak on shake. the launch of a new freak shake. Goodness gracious. You, so you go and Google and everyone else can go and listen, uh, you know, everyone else listening or watching, go on to Instagram and, and hashtag Freak Shake and you'll see cafes. It started in Canberra. It then moved its way down to Melbourne. I think the term Freak Shake now is now trademarked by the cafe in Canberra. I can't quite remember it. Again, I don't have the, the, the magazine in front of me. But um, then moved down. There's a cafe in Melbourne that does it. It's gone all the way to London. 
uh, where it's really starting to catch on. People are, are, are lining up for these freak shakes. And the argument was, we all know these freak shakes are incredibly unhealthy. It's not a superfood fad. It's more like a... Well, you could have banana. Yeah, absolutely. So That's, you could make a freak sh- a healthy freak shake, right? Could be. Um, Put a bit of herb with it. But the movement hasn't been health driven. No, it's been interesting. It's been. But so it got me thinking that, like food, it's no longer about sustenance. It, it's this is a, a form of art for some people. It's a way that they make things um, pretty. So I don't know what you'd call it in art, but you know the things that are really quite random. In nature, but abstract. Abstract. So it seems like an abstract version of food art. Mm. Um, mm. But at the same time, the social media phenomenon of it was that businesses are thriving, like on a social media post. So they would make this incredible freak shake, push it out to their tribe. Everyone would go and share it. That looks delicious. That looks disgusting or whatever. But you know, it's like here we are, 6 a.m. launch of the triple chalk croissant freak shake. Come and get it now. And people are going down and getting it. A bit like when Tim Robards would say, I'm going to the park to work on the ropes. Yeah. I'll be there from 6 o'clock. Come down. People go down and do it. So mm. that's great for business. Mm. And so seeing that as great for business in, say, a freak shake business, this makes me realize that food is no longer about picking a banana off or picking an apple off the tree and eating it. It's mm. become so much more than that. So I kind of wanted to chat to you about the changing nature of food. Um, and what I'm kind of realizing is that can't fight it. Like it's not going anywhere. The, the the rise of food on social media is is not going anywhere. My question for you is: um, Are we in a difficult transitional phase? Is it making people healthier, or is it making people sicker? The the fact that food has become just such a massive part of our newsfeed. Wow, that's amazing. Well, that's such an that's a great question. And I think the reason why it's such a great question, Marcus Pierce, is because. You've got some food porn out there that is of green smoothies, forage porridge, birches, acai bowls. An apple. An apple. Yeah. That's right. You know, um, micro herbs on food. So foods that would have you looking at, at, at meals differently yeah. and how that might nourish your body and, you know, shift your health and maybe make you feel or look more beautiful or, or whatever, right? So there's there's that aspect to social media that's possibly driving a beneficial craving for change of good food. But then on the flip side, definitely as people are celebrating the healthy stuff, you are creating the opposite effect. And so other people are going, well, you know, I'm so sick of green smoothies. If I see another green smoothie or another um, another person doing a yoga pose on Instagram, I'm going to go and hang myself. So all of a sudden something else has started to come out, which is the complete opposite to that, to balance it out. It's much the same as the whole vegan versus paleo argument um, or what we spoke about this morning um, with with Tim Robards was where we were speaking about, you know, grain coming back into into vogue again um, because we went so hardcore pro-grain to then paleo anti-grain to then coming back into some kind of balanced space again. So interesting, interesting. I think you're right, Marcus. I think that anything that gets um, some kind of social media traction is going to drive some kind of um, increased desire. And we've seen that with fads around food over the last, you know, oh, well, since social media really got going, what's that, 10 or 12 years since Facebook's been going? So it's um, it's been going strong, but now the shift from voyeurism watching a person do stuff, it's now you, you're trying to work out what it is that the person actually does around food. So if social media's not going anywhere... It's going stronger. Right, it's going to only go, go and get stronger. It's not going away. 
I don't know about you, but I, I mean, personally, I'm not a social media, um, what's the word? I'm not a good um, sample because I don't make food that I see on social media, but no. I don't make most of the food in the house. No. I cook uh, eggs and greens at breakfast and I do Saturday night dinner. The rest, Sarah's preparing. But I don't think Sarah does uh, a lot of food that she sees online. She's still quite traditional in that she'll have a quirky cooking cookbook, a Pete Evans cookbook, a few other cookbooks, and she'll just go, Oh, yeah, I'll make that tonight or I'll make that tonight. Um, but a lot of people are so uh, influenced by what they see on social media now. Mm-hmm. Um, does that mean that as we get older, we're going to lose our, what a better term, independent thinking when it comes to food? So we're almost going to be reliant. On, is, is social media going to become the new recipe book? Maybe. Where Whenever we want something, we're always going there. Well, people go to Pinterest, don't they? Yeah. But you know, the, so looking for that. The challenge is, sorry to cut you off, but the challenge with social it's media. not unusual. No, okay. but seriously, no, no. I am sorry to cut you off on this occasion because <laughs> it's an incomplete question. Okay. The challenge with social media, yes. if you talk to anyone these days that are posting, it takes them half an hour to make the pretty picture mm-hmm. and do everything right. Mm-hmm. And then almost with the hidden perception that it, it should be so easy for you to do at home. Mm. Now, if ever get in the kitchen... And they feel like failures because they can't make or replicate what they saw on social media. Whereas when we just had the old-fashioned cookbook that said prep time 10 minutes, cook time 20 minutes, these are the ingredients, go forth and multiply, we'd go and do it. And most of the time we get it pretty close to what it says. Yeah. But but this day and age, that doesn't necessarily happen so easily because everything's very um, masqueraded in perfection before it gets put on. So are people going to have more of a complex around their food because I didn't get it like it said it was on Instagram or Facebook or what have you. Maybe. Maybe. I think that still flavor is going to drive food. Taste. Yeah. Yeah. Flavor is going to drive it. You know, people did kale for a long enough time to know that kale generally doesn't taste fantastic. But everyone's going, oh, I love kale chips. Um, Oh, you know, it tastes so good. I love it when you put heaps of salt on it. In other words, I love it when it doesn't taste like kale. Yeah. Um, so, and then it, it didn't take long before people realized that unless they had kale cooked, um, it could have potentially damaging effects on the thyroid gland. So very quickly, people jumped off the, the kale bandwagon. It's got to taste good. Paleo tastes good. Vegan tastes good. Uh, you know, most things that taste good will thrive and survive. Even if they're unhealthy, that's the thing. So it's still going to be reliant on taste. Yeah, a free Sample, shake yeah. probably tastes good. And, and and so does those massive heart attack burgers. They taste good and they, you know, signal a challenge and, and people tend to like that. So anything that's going to make people, I don't know, rise to something or enjoy it, because it's got to yeah. be fun, right? Yeah. So if, it, if it's not fun, people aren't going to want to do it. Um, people people will, will go there. So taste has been the number one. Well, actually, sustenance would be the number one um, if we think of, you know, the old days, all of the years, uh, what's the word, like Paleolithic years or all the rest of it, it's been about sustenance, like mm-hmm. keeping people alive, okay? And then if we take it up a level, well, then helping people to thrive, so not just survival but thrival. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's probably taste, right? Because I know probably our grandparents would be like, well, when we were kids. The bread and dripping. Yeah. Mm. And so it wasn't about taste. Mm. It was just what keeps the kids alive. Mm. And then the next step would be what keeps them healthy. Yeah, true. Now it's about taste. Yeah. Well, in the last probably 40 years, it's probably grown and grown and grown. More about taste. And that now is 
on it. And so <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's no cough button here at 100 oh, on our HQ. No sneeze button. I thought I was going to try and get through that one. I was like, oh, am I going to be able to get rid of it? <laughs> that was priceless. If only I could slow mo that. We might slow mo that. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Oh, wow. So now the taste of food is on steroids. Yeah. Everything is about how it tastes. High flavor. It's, it's High flavor. not about sustenance anymore. Mm, no. And it's not just about what keeps you um, healthy. It's actually it's got to keep you healthy and it's got to taste awesome. Well, it doesn't even it doesn't even have to keep you healthy. It's just got to taste awesome. Yeah, but if you're health if you're health, health conscious, yeah, 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 yeah. If you're not health conscious, then it's just it's all about taste. We keep on talking about numbers, though. We keep talking about obesity, you know, ever increasing, and then people who are, are looking after their health and well being tends to be around about this percent. The numbers don't seem to be changing. Mm-hmm. It's it's it it still probably comes back to the eighty twenty. Or as Tim Robards would say, seven two one. But yeah. it's you know eighty twenty appears to be that same rule of thumb. Eighty percent of the population are probably only going by taste. You know, putting into their body what tastes, tastes good. good, and then if it's healthy, cool. Um, yeah. If it's not healthy, doesn't really matter. Yeah, um, they'll be right. Yeah, they'll be right. Um, everything in moderation. Everything in moderation, including everything. <laughs> and then so. You know? <laughs> and then um, and then you've got those people, the 20 percenters, and of that 20 percent, 80 percent of them are probably going pretty hard out at it. Um, and then the 20 percent of the 20 percent are probably, you know. Yeah. A bit more like, yeah. Intense. Like, oh, you're saying 80 percent are cool and 20 percent are fanatical? Fanatical. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's only fanatical. a small percentage. It's a very small percentage that yeah. are so hardcore fanatical. I think a lot of people would do the double tap on Instagram because they like the look of it, not necessarily because they're going to go and create it or, or find it or seek yeah. it. Well, yeah. as Joe Whitten, you know, spoke about, I did an event with our good friend Maria Sushman. Oh, Shout out to Maria. Yeah, Maria and Joe. And Joe. And we were doing the Busy Mum Solution in Shell Harbour. And Joe Shala, was talking Shala about Shell Harbour. Shell Harbour. Do you call it, is, is, that, is it not Shell Harbour? You've got to say Shell Harbour. Really? Isn't mm. that like a, um, anyway. I'm digressing, right? <laughs> so Joe was saying no one sees on, on, on social media, no one sees the tears of that person that didn't get the picture for two hours. And no, like no one sees the person that made that meal, that stuffed it up three or four times, that actually went and got Chinese takeaway because they couldn't get it, you know, only to then sometime later get the picture that you see on Facebook. Yeah. So it's not a true reflection. Still don't reckon those pictures are worth $500 or $1,500. I, I, I think they're too expensive for a post. Yeah. But, but that's the way they're charging these days. But yeah, I think you're right. There's a lot of effort that goes into making food look good, particularly if you're not a chef. You know, it's the chefs. If that you're a mum, if you're a mum of young kids, yeah, and you got thirty minutes it. to cook dinner, put it in the in the bunnykins bowl, and off it goes. Yeah. You know, the kids are happy to yeah, eat it. It's got to be quick. All right, yeah. so so taste is still the the driver. Yeah. The other the other things that I've noticed down that I've noted down that I think are keys, and this is what I teach, and I know this is what you teach, but I'm wondering where you think this is heading, is the social side of food. Hmm. So the social side. We've spoken about the nutritional side, keeping us healthy. And taste. What about the social side of food? Is it going to improve? Because I think it's pretty average at the moment. But do you think it's going to improve or are we going to retreat into our shell more? The irony is the irony is that coming together and eating a meal is the way it all started. That's the way it all yeah. started. And then in order to try and, you know, be more productive or to get thing, more things done, you kind of had your lunch to yourself. Breakfast be on the run. Um, lunch to yourself, come home, have dinner. Now people are probably sitting in front of their computer, maybe watching a little bit of television. TV dinners. 
That's right. And not really um, having community time or communication time um, around meal times. Now, go out to cafes and, and I eat out every single day. I, I do. I, every day I'll have a meal out somewhere. And generally, it's my lunch. Sometimes it's lunch and dinner. Sometimes it's breakfast, lunch and dinner. And so I'm always making better choices um, and great choices in the cafes that I go to. What's amazing is the increase in price. So where the cafe used to be a place that people would go, because food now has become such a popular oh. thing, cafes are putting the prices up and it's driving people away. And Is so, it driving you nuts? Oh, look, I food's my number one priority outside of my family and, and my relationships. So um, I will spend the money. So I'm one of the rare people that sees food as an essential part of my social life. And so I, I'll spend it. That's... It just means that I don't spend money on other things other that things. might be more discretionary. Yeah. So, but there's people out there going, oh, I can't afford to eat out every single day. You should be able to, you know, but in Australia at the moment, foods become very, very expensive when you're out. And uh-huh. that in itself is going to be counterproductive to people going out to eat food. We went down to a cafe just before, it wasn't full, but the price of the food is too expensive to get some kale and some eggs on a couple of bits of toast, which you don't want to eat both bits of toast anyway. Um, and, and some mushrooms cost you over $20. It, it shouldn't cost that much, you know, and you're paying for a chef who does beautiful presentation, um, but it should be half the price. And all of a sudden you're feeding the masses and you bring more people into the cafe. It Then it meets the purpose of the social, um, you know, arrangement around food. So food more than ever then has mm. become about class structure class structure because i know that one of your big things the reason why i asked is to drive you nuts because i know when we did the how do you fly summit or the right diet summit we spoke about your biggest driver is is helping like it, it the the price of food drives you batty yeah because food should not be as expensive as it is as it is and out of reach if people in the in the world aren't going to earn a certain amount of money that should not exclude them from certain foods or certain experiences that's right but what you're saying is that cafes because where we went, it wasn't over the top. It wasn't like 50% more than other cafes. But what you're saying is all cafes, most cafes are overpriced, yeah. exclu- which, which then excludes the opportunity for people to congregate at a cafe. Yes, they can go and make a picnic and catch up with friends and the rest. But if you actually just don't want to prepare your own food for once and you do just want to catch up somewhere where a, a cook or a chef is making it for you, that's become out of reach yeah. for too many people. Yeah, that's right. And so it's... It's it's almost making food unsociable. Yeah. Mm. And so now we gather for cheese and crackers or Vegemite sandwiches made at home. <laughs> That's right. Right. Instead yeah. of being able to go out for a chicken salad or a Just, smashed avo. Or and, a, and to celebrate. And to celebrate. Yeah. So you bring a celebration back home, which I don't think is a bad thing. I think it's a yeah. great thing. But I think that cafes and restaurants, because they're getting a little bit fancy pants, are probably doing themselves a bit of a disservice. And they're wondering why they're not full. So then, so so like you say, good and bad in, in everything. Uh, cafes and restaurants are going to become more for it's going to become more elitist. But the benefit of that is it's going to drive uh, socialising back inside the home. We're on a beautiful grandfather table here. We could have ten or twelve people here, right? Yep. And that would be an incredible social experience. And we might say, let's have it here, um, and it might cost fifty bucks to feed the table rather than pay five hundred bucks. Because you probably ten x, oh, hundred percent eating yeah. out. Because yeah. I kind of, I kind of estimate we spend four hundred bucks a week in the Pierce House. Yep, there's five to six meals a day. It works out at about two bucks per person per meal. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but you would 10x that if you go out to I'd, a cafe I'd or a restaurant, right? Yeah, for sure. So you can pretty much 10x anything that you eat. Um, so the changing nature of food being that that social side of it is going to become more under the four, under the roof and four walls than outside in the cafe and the restaurant, which makes me a little bit sad. Hmm. Um, oh, but at the same time, I feel good about it. But I think that we're missing out as a society on maintaining and retaining a, uh, a community. Yeah, because well, and, and particularly when the family house is far less um, open. Like, you know, we walked past a fenced house earlier, but it wasn't just a fence. It was like a... Barrier. So it, it's like houses a aren't it's like all fortress. that... Yeah, it was a fortress. Houses yeah. aren't all that sociable anymore. The yeah. houses now, homes are a place where you come in, you bunker down. They're not an open, inviting place. So those, you know, for even as a family of young kids, it, it's a foreign concept if you said get two or three other families around and everyone have dinner and the kids are running around going nuts and the parents all sit around and have dinner together. Sure. People are like, oh, my gosh, that sounds like so much hard work. Like, you know. Sounds just, amazing to me. Yeah. Yeah. But people are like, oh, no, we're 20 minutes away. And in the old days, you'd be like, well, I just live across the road and we'll all just walk to one person's house and the rest. But now we don't actually know those neighbors across the road and all the rest of it. And so it's all... The rest. Mm. End result sounds amazing, but in the in the world that we live in, this is why I think this changing nature of food is changing so many other areas of our life. It doesn't seem to happen mm. as easily and gracefully as it could. Um, can I ask you one more question? Sure. Okay. Because we've gone through social, and that was really fascinating. What you spoke about how the class structure of eating out is is changing um, society. We've spoken about um, nutrition. We've spoken about taste. What about food as a vehicle to just create gratitude or stillness or connection like in the old days when you ate your food uh you didn't necessarily always yabber on with everyone else around you you could eat food quietly and kind of just it was almost like quite meditative to just have your chicken salad as i use a regular example and look yep. at your cucumber and go fascinating like bit of water <laughs> bit of sun yeah bit of soil makes this makes this and you're mm. looking at it and it's you see a seed and that's fascinating or you're looking at a tomato or whatever it is and you'd have a real, want a better term, you'd have a moment with your food whereas now in this busy, fast-paced world, it's gobble, gobble, eat, eat, gobble, gobble, you know, all the rest of it and it's there's no real stillness or appreciation or gratitude for not just the food but also for the life that we're living, for the heart that's beating, for the digestive system that does it all without us having to think about it. We don't generally create that space for us any longer. Mm. Do you think, the way the world's going, will that time come back or is that a long lost, you know, fable where we used to honor the food that we eat and, and have that moment to appreciate our life a bit more? Look, mate, I think that the 80-20 rule is going to apply again. I know it sounds a little bit just a bit vanilla, a bit mediocre, yeah. but I think 80-20 is going to take its role here again. There'll be 20% of the people, you know, stop and appreciate and look and there'll be, you know, 20% of that 20%. Will be hardcore. Eighty percent of that twenty percent won't be too hardcore. <laughs> yeah. But the eighty percent, they really couldn't give to. You know, they're just really out there, just eating for the taste, eating because they feel hungry, and then stopping when they feel full, mm. and then uh, and groundhog daying that. And then on that, the twenty percent has to be happy to coexist and live with the eighty percent, and not point fingers and go, "You should be doing this. You should be doing that." One yeah. more question, because yes. I've seen the time, but you've just reminded me of something. When we go to um, eat now, everyone's got one of these. When I was in Bali with Sarah, 
we were astonished that we'd be sitting down to breakfast. Yep. We, and, and I'm not saying this to be self-righteous. If it comes across that way, that's not my intention. We wouldn't take our phones to breakfast because we don't need our phones at breakfast. We're there to eat and to be with each other. We're in Bali. Like, we don't have any jobs to do, no appointments, whatever. And so there's people there on their honeymoons, on their wedding anniversaries, on their whatever. And they've got their food and then they're both, you know, and I'm like, babe, like, these people are meant to be on a holiday. Why are they so distracted by their phone? But they're not paying any attention to their food, no attention to each other, and they're just using this. Mm, mm. This has changed the way people eat and dine. Yeah. Um, is that going to change? Are people going to wake up or are you going to say, you know what, don't mean to sound vanilla, but that's 80-20 again. Like, no, I, I think it's even probably less than 80-20. I think that, you know, what we're going to start to see is that there'll be some people who are a bit more conscious around that and it's people who place value on conversation and place value on family and place value on relationships that I think are going to move away from the device at the table. Um and, and it takes a conscious effort to do that because, mm. you know, the computers and phones have permeated our, our lives and, uh, and you know, to the extent that we're looking on our devices for what we're going to eat next, even when we're eating at the time. Yeah, and, and, and like you said, I think we've done this on a, on a previous episode, um, you consciously bring it up. Was it, was it you, Jackson and Amber, that had a, like a, you created a rule? It was like all phones stay at the desk or at the table or something. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was you or someone else talking about if they go out for dinner or a meal, the first person to pick up their phone is paying for the table. No, it's not us. It wasn't you. It's always me that pays. So, <laughs> and I don't look at the phone all the time. Um, so. But there's a few ways, like you say, it takes a conscious effort or someone to kind of buck the trend and go, guys, this isn't good enough. Like, yeah. uh, we're all here to congregate. We haven't seen each other all day. The last thing we need to do is check our phones. I want to know how your school was or how your day was or how your mom is or whatever. Let's talk whilst we're eating rather than checking in. On whatever it is, because that's now the new TV dinner. Yeah, like instead of sitting, eating, watching TV, people are now just sitting and checking their phones. Um, thanks for like accepting my barrage of questions, as pleasure. you always do so graciously. Ah, pleasure. Thanks for asking great questions, Marcus. Oh, my pleasure. It's great to. I hope you guys have found value in this changing nature of food. Again, it always seems to. Uh, nothing stays the same. Mm. Everything's always on the move. Um, go and have a look at a freak shake. Uh, they're a totally phenomenal right. creation. I haven't had I one. Don't think I will unless you can find me a really good superfood one. We should go do it. Yeah. We'll find one. Well, we could make one in the kitchen. No. We'll get inspired. Well, let's go and, and experience it. Yeah, but they're like, they're, they're full of stuff. That's the idea of it. Yeah. But you want to win in Rome on a freak shake. Why wouldn't you? You just Maybe. don't do it all the time. If you do find us when in Rome on a freak shake. Uh, you see it on Instagram. You will. You see it on Instagram. <laughs> uh, thanks again for joining us on 100 Not Out. If you want to find out more, go to thewellnesscouch.com. Uh, check out all of the podcasts available. You'll see 100 Not Out on Facebook. That's facebook.com forward slash 100 Not Out. Uh, spell it all out. Check us out on YouTube um, at 100 Not Out. And also find out more about Damo at damienchristoff.com. Myself at marcuspierce.com.au. See you on the next episode, folks. Until next time, may the rest of your life continue to be the best of your life. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.